to the, a topical series recently was to hit a few important topics, especially leading up to the revival services that we had and then following up on the revival services that we had to, to hit some important topics uh, for our church and for us as believers in general. And I'll have another one of those sermons this morning. But before we get to that topic, before we get to that message, I wanted to kind of introduce, give you an invitation right now to, to join us for tonight's service. Uh, we've been in a series in Job, and there's been a, a back and forth between Job and his friends. And we've looked at that the last few weeks, uh, both what happened to Job in Job 1 and 2, and how God allowed him to be severely tested and the patience of Job, the, the good spirit of Job at first, and then, of course, him starting to ask questions and his friends accusing him of wrongdoing. We, we've been looking at that, Job, but something I want to go a little further in tonight is an idea that's presented that's a good idea by one of Job's friends, even though he takes his whole argument in, a, in, a, in the wrong direction. Something that Bildad, one of Job's friends, says in Job chapter 8 is as follows. For inquire, Job 8, verse 8 says, For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to search of their fathers. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing, because our days upon the earth are a shadow. The idea there is it's important to look to the past, know our history. Our life is short, and if we only look at our present time, we're missing uh, part of our Part of the big picture. It's something I try to bring in as a history teacher. Um, I try to bring some of that history in here and there where I can. And tonight, one of the things I'd like to do is to look at the godly heritage, the biblical constitution that we have. We have, uh, we're going to look at Job 8 tonight, but also I have a, you know, it's about 28, maybe 30 minute uh, video tonight about how our U.S. Constitution is based on the Bible. And if you've never heard that idea, I'd like you to join us tonight and be here for that uh, video presentation where this, the speakers in that video uh, will quote from our founding fathers and they'll quote from the Bible and they'll line them up side by side and show you how our founders took the ideas for the Constitution and even the Declaration of Independence from the Bible. So I challenge you to join us for that tonight. That'll be at six o'clock this evening. And uh, as I said, I'll try and tie in Job to some extent. Not sure if we'll get in as depth as, and maybe that's all right. Sometimes it's good to go in depth into a Bible passage when you're, and take it verse by verse. And sometimes you need to cover maybe three chapters and summarize that, get the main idea across. Um, and it's good to have that kind of variety. But this morning, the topic that I've chosen for this morning, following up on uh, last week, we talked about the importance of being witnesses in Acts 1.8, how we're all called to be witnesses for Christ, for Jesus, in our, in our Jerusalem, which is Pasadena here, in our Judea, which is our country of the United States, in our um, Samaria, which would be our neighboring countries on our continents, Canada, Mexico, and other countries on our continent, and also our uttermost part of the world, which we support sending missionaries out and supporting missionaries and hearing back and praying for them each Wednesday night as we do. And uh, all of that is good, but it's good. We must never forget our Jerusalem 
to reach them. And one way that I made available to you last week were these little cards as we have lots of other tracks as well and encourage you to invite someone every week. Invite someone to church every week. And there were several people I was able to hand out cards to. I know uh, I was filling up uh, my tires with air at a gas station uh, this week. Uh, one of my tires was low. And uh, the BJ's gas, free, free air wasn't working that day. So I had to go in, get change for a dollar, and put all the quarters in. And after I got done, someone had pulled up right next to me. And they immediately po- apologized when they saw what I was doing because they didn't realize they, they pulled up right next to the vehicle. And I, was, and I came right around at that moment to the tire and was putting the air in. And uh, he said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, oh, and that's okay. Were you, getting, were you getting air? And I tried to put air in her tire. I think her daughter had to get out and, and, and work it because the, the needle on her tire wasn't pushing in, wasn't filling up. Anyway, to make a long story short, I let them use the, what air was left. I think they still had to put more money in. But... Um, As they were doing that, I also handed them a card and invited them to our church. And uh, you never know who might show up when you invite someone to church or who might go to that website and check out some of the videos and really be challenged about their worldview, about their faith. Where are they in their relationship with Jesus Christ? And uh, so I invite you to use those anywhere you go, just in the grocery store and get pumping gas, as you saw in the video last week, how easy it is just to go up to someone. And if they don't take it, they don't take it, you know. Um, But uh, I encourage you to use that tool. And following up on, on that message from last week, something that is very vitally important for us as believers uh, something that could, if we, if we ignore this principle that we're going to look at today, these principles from God's Word, it would prevent us from really being as effective for Christ, for being that effective witness for Christ that we want to be. Uh, it would prevent us from uh, growing as a church. It would prevent us from being as effective in what we do do in our, in our group. Because, of course, it's, there's more... Uh, our ministry for Christ is, is not just about numbers and how many people we can bring in, but how effective are we in reaching this group of people that we have with us today? How good is our fellowship and our relationship with one another as a church family? So the principles that we're looking at this morning are that of reconciliation and forgiveness from Matthew chapter 18. And uh, how important it is that as Christ has forgiven us, that we also have a good, right relationship with one another. And so Jesus, in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15, going through verse 35, Jesus, in Matthew 18, gives us two commands. He gives us two commands and very specific instructions and commendations, admonitions, go, to go with each of those two commands. But two commands that he gives us in Matthew 18, as we'll look at this morning, show us how we need to be reconciled with one another at times and to forgive one another. You may remember that when the evangelist, when the missionary that we had in here for the revival services we had a couple weeks ago, when he was here, one of the passages he referenced was actually in this passage where he, uh, where, where he talked about how sometimes we can get offended. And um, verse 7 says, Woe unto the world because of offenses. And Matthew 18, I'm not looking at this verse for most of the time this morning, but just to set the context here, 
Verse 7 of chapter 18 says, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. And uh, usually we use that verse and think of, uh, of course, Judas Iscariot is one example we think of, but also any offender, somebody who brings an offense. Now, of course, offenses are going to come, but woe to the person who brings the offense. But remember, when we had that, when he brought that message, something that jumped out at me was uh, the preacher said, the, a person who brings the offense by which the offense cometh can actually be the person who gets offended by someone else because we choose to allow ourselves to be offended, and that brings an offense. Uh, that's not always, of course, the case, but I found that interesting. But the first command that we're going to look at in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15 this morning, is first, if your brother sins against you. And both of these commands start with that. If your brother sins against you. And the first command is, go to him. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone, says verse 15. And that's the first command God Christ gives us in Matthew 18. And he gives us some very specific instructions to go with this. Uh, let's pray and continue with this message. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you'll open our hearts and open our eyes, open our minds to your word and what, how you wish to speak to us from your word this morning as we examine the principles of reconciliation and forgiveness and how uh, rightly to apply these principles, how, principles and how not to apply them, how not to mistake them, but how to properly apply these so that we can always be right with one another and uh, also with others, that we would seek to always um, be in a relationship with you where we have sweet fellowship and that we also can have that same love, that same fellowship with one another by not allowing anything to come in between it and to build a wall between us and just help us to, to see and to follow the instructions, the directions that you have for us to follow from your word in this passage this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first principle is... Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, so he'll break the law. And that word trespass has the idea of breaking the law. If he shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes to the church of Corinth and talks to them about how don't take your one another, don't believers, as fellow believers, don't take one another, you, one another before the court of the unsaved and go to, and sue one another before the law. Don't be doing that. Uh, Solve your cases amongst yourselves. And here are the instructions for how you do that. How do we avoid taking another believer or especially another person from our church to court? Of course, that would, you know, exceptions would be things like insurance companies with a, in a car accident if something happened. Uh, even our constitution allows for that and our covenant, our church covenant doctrinal statement. But in general, we should never be, you know, getting to a point where we're taking a case uh, taking another believer to court, taking someone from our church to court because of an offense. Instead, we have a principle, the principles from Matthew uh, 18, starting in verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So I want you to notice the last words of that verse are, if he shall hear thee, 
thou shalt have gained thy brother. So the whole motivation, the whole point of going to the person is not to tear down that person and say, you are a terrible person. You did this. You said this. That's not the point. The point is to go to the person to gain their fellowship. In other words, the relationship between you and this person has broken down to the point where you don't have that fellowship, you don't have the, the friendship that you once had. You've lost your brother because of something that has come up that he has done or said that has offended you. Maybe he knows about it, maybe he doesn't, and all too often we'll assume, well, this person knows exactly what they did, and it's up to them to come to me and ask them for forgiveness. Uh, but that's not what Jesus says here. You know, there's a principle about if you have a gift to offer God and you owe someone else something, you, you go and pay them first before you offer a gift to God. That's true. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. But here what we see is if someone has offended you, it's actually on the person who's been offended to go to that person and start the reconciliation process, to start trying to deal with any consequences that could have resulted from the sin. That doesn't mean that's a condition for forgiveness. When you start the process, as we'll look at down in verse 21, we're expected to have already forgiven this person when we start this process. And that's difficult. That's something before you even start the process, you're supposed to already have forgiven them. So forgiveness and reconciliation are a little bit two different things. Reconciliation is restoring a person to the relationship, restoring them to fellowship. The forgiveness is something that involves your heart and how you feel toward that person, about that person, and we're supposed to let it go. Like uh, owing a debt, the, the term forgiveness has the idea of someone owes you something, you release them from what they owe you. That's the idea of forgiveness. Reconciliation is uh, even though you've forgiven them, you're also trying to get things back to a point where you have that relationship with this person um, that is restored. You have regained your brother. That's the point of taking the offense to him. The point is not to go to them and say, look what you did, you were wrong in this. No, if that's the point, uh, don't go to the person, just forgive, move on. But if there is a relationship that's been severed, if there is something that needs to be dealt with because there's something between you and this person, then this is where reconciliation comes in, where reconciliation is needed is to gain thy brother. So if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Notice the principle here of not going to someone else first. And so Often our tendency can be, go tell someone else. You know what this guy did to me? You know what this guy said to me? Uh, that's where problems develop and where a rift can be, become even larger. Uh, and where pro often problems in any local church will be because of gossip, because of one person telling someone else, this person offended me. This person said this, but this person did this. When the principle of reconciliation is to go to the person who offended you alone, and if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. The point isn't to say, you did this wrong, you need to give me an apology and tell me how wrong you were. That's not the point. The point is to restore the relationship. Look, I was offended by this. I, I hope that you and I can 
come back together and have our friendship, our relationship, working together in this church, working together at work, working together as a family, wherever the relationship is, where a person, where a wall has come up between two people because, could be a husband and wife, could be a brother and sister, could be a son and parent, daughter and parent, could be uh, two church members, could be two people at work, wherever the relationship is to have that restored. Now here it's specifically talking about the church in this passage. And Jesus is speaking of the future when he's not there to settle disputes because right now he's there. If two disciples have a problem with each other, he can kind of be a, a mediator. But in the future, how are they supposed to work out things? So he's laying that groundwork out right here in Matthew chapter 18. How do you do it? First, you go to them. And once you've gone to them, if, it, if they listen to you, it says, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. What if he doesn't hear you? Well, that's when you get to tell everybody else, right? No. Verse 16, but he will, if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And this is the principle going back to Deuteronomy chapter 19 in the Old Testament, that you had to have any trial, no one could be convicted of something except by the, in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Uh, one person as a witness doesn't uh, convict someone of a crime. You had to have two or three witnesses. And so this is a common law principle that's being uh, brought back up here, is that it's not just you saying this. Maybe the person won't listen to you because they just feel, well, you're wrong about this. Uh, no, that's not how it, no, you're wrong. And, but if you bring two or three people that are involved, they are involved with this person as well, and they are a witness to the person's bad behavior, the sin, it's a trespass, so they're breaking the law, either the law of God or the laws of men. They're trespassing. They're breaking the law, whatever that may be. The law of God, the law of men, they're trespassing. They're sinning. This isn't just a, an offense where someone uh, uh, does something that's not a sin. It's, a, it's an actual sin. It's something uh, that is wrong that they're doing, and they need to listen to the fact that they're doing this wrong so that they won't keep doing it, so that you can have the relationship restored and uh, that the whole point is to gain your brother again. So then you take two or three people. It's a small group, but it's two or three. And in the mouth of those witnesses, this person gets to hear, okay, it's not just this one person saying this. It's two or three other people saying the same thing. And that gives them an opportunity to see, you know, this is a blind spot in my life. I need to get this right. I need to correct the problem that's causing a rift here and get it right and be restored to fellowship, be restored to relationship with this person, with everyone that is involved, the witnesses as well. And then the, the third step, the third instruction to go with this is that if he shall neglect to hear them, verse 17, tell it unto the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, we have an actual example of that in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 5. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells the Corinthian church, you have someone who sinned, you need to go to that person, confront them, and apparently they've already done that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That person was in an incestuous relationship, and he was a member of their church. He was, he was there with them in their church, and he's an incestuous, so open sin. Everybody knows about it. It has to be dealt with. Paul says, this is how you deal with it. 
And this is where this verse is actually applied in the New Testament. They had to remove that person from the church. So it says, and if you neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Meaning that this person is going to be, you're going to treat this person like a heathen or a publican. And the Jews were not allowed to even eat with a heathen person. They were not allowed to eat with them. They were not allowed to spend time with them. Okay. Um, they're not allowed to fellowship with them. So what it's saying is this person has to be removed from your church. You can't have that fellowship. So that's a very, so this trespass that we're talking about that you go to a person is a very serious trespass. And uh, in second, first Corinthians chapter five, the example is someone living in incest. And this is the example of church discipline. And so that person in first Corinthians five is separated again, not for the purpose of just condemning this person, but to reconcile them is the purpose. And we know that from 2 Corinthians, because in 2 Corinthians, we see that person finally restored in chapter two of 2 Corinthians, where that person is sorrowful. They have repented. They have left that relationship that they were in. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians two, verse five, if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is the punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise ye ought rather to forgive him and to comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, speaking of 1 Corinthians 5, that I might know the proof of you and whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I, I forgive also. For I, if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So verse 18 speaks of what Paul is saying here. Verse 18 of Matthew 18 says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So when, in other words, when a sin is ignored in the church, and there's no church discipline, church discipline you don't hear of it a lot today. I witnessed it once when I was in seminary, where the church at a Sunday evening service uh, the pastor had to bring up, okay, we have a couple of members that we have to vote out of the membership uh, because one of them is married and he's now having a child with another person he's not married to and they're not leaving that relationship. They're continuing in it. They're in our church every Sunday and we have to vote them out of membership. Now they're members. And I, I, the only time I've ever heard of something like that, I've, I've ever witnessed it personally, but I witnessed it. And that's the type of, of example here. And can such a person be restored? Yes. But when it says, what you bind in heaven will, shall be, uh, what you bind in earth shall be bound in heaven, what it's talking about here is God uses the church to deal with such situations. It's up to us. We're not to wait for God to deal with it. We're to start the process here so that God can use that church discipline to show that person this isn't right. You need to get this right. And when they have done that, when they've gotten it right, then you restore that person to the fellowship and so that they can be loosed. They've been bound so that they uh, could, could be restored to the relationship if they respond to the reconciliation process as the Bible uh, indicates. And verse 19 says, again, I say unto you, 
that if two of you shall agree on earth touching anything that shall that ye shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in your midst. And sometimes this verse is pulled out of the context that it's in, and it's used for prayer in general, and it fits the idea as well that when we gather together for prayer meeting or anytime we gather together for service, Jesus is with us. But what Jesus is especially promising here is that when we gather together, the two witnesses going to a person to reconcile them, or when you're praying for such a person, God is there. God is with you. He, you are acting under the authority that Christ gave you when he gave you these specific instructions, and he you are praying in his will. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It doesn't mean just like we often do, you know, add his name. It means to pray in his will, something that he wants to do. We're praying for that, so he will do it. And uh, that is, that is the, the application of when you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Then verse 21 brings us to the second command we're given, to forgive. So that, that Peter having heard what Jesus has just told. By the way, in the original language, the paragraph in the original language starts in verse 15. It continues to 21. It's, there's no paragraph break in the original language. So this is con the, the new idea started in verse 15 and continues all the way to verse 35. So Peter is commenting on what Jesus has just taught them, has a question. And then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Notice the second command that Jesus gives is, if your brother sins against you, forgive him. Forgive him. And this is an unconditional, repetitive forgiveness from the heart. It deals with forgiveness from the heart. Verse 22, Jesus said unto him. Now, Peter thinks he's being generous. Seven times, that's reasonable. The rabbis back then taught you forgive a person three times. That's how, that's how often you're obligated to forgive your brother. He says, how about seven times? Is that sufficient? And Jesus says, no. Jesus says, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And literally here, he's not meaning count up that 70 times seven times, and that's how many times. No, he means keep forgiving the person. Keep forgiving the person. And 20, verse 23, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened. So he brings this parable. The main point is forgiveness. Forgiveness. He brings a parable and he's going to put us in a picture of Christ as our master, as our king, who has forgiven us such a great debt. When someone, when someone else owes us a debt, they've done something that we feel like they owe us, we need to forgive them the same way Jesus forgave us. Look at verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of servants. And when he had begun to reckon, so apparently these servants had the ability to spend money on the behalf of their master, and apparently this one servant has spent a lot of money for his master and owes a lot of money back to his master. Uh, verse 24, And one who, brought, who was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents, 10,000 was the largest round number in the Jewish number system. So this person owes an extremely amount. 10,000 talents is 150,000 years worth of days wages. This guy is never going to be able to pay all of it. Never. It's impossible. 
uh, it's millions of dollars worth of money in our currency. Millions of dollars that this guy earns. Millions of dollars of, uh, has, owes. Uh, millions of dollars worth of debt. Something like our national debt. No, I don't know. But uh, for one person. And the idea back then was if you owed a debt you couldn't pay, you didn't get to declare bankruptcy and get out of it and just have no credit, you couldn't borrow anymore, back then it was much more severe. You would go to a debtor's prison and you would work to pay off your debt as a slave. And not only you, but anyone in your immediate family, your wife and your children, could all be sold into slavery and then uh, your master would get the wages from each of those days' wages from however many people were in your family. And so at least part of the debt could be liquidated in this way by selling them into slavery, uh, essentially. And so that is the punishment that, the, mas that the, the ruler prescribes here, verse 24. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him a 10,000 talents for as much as he had not to pay. He didn't have the capital. He didn't have the resources. He didn't have... Uh, the collateral or anything to pay with. For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And most likely that's an impossible statement. But, he's, but notice what he said. He says, he doesn't ask for, forgive me the debt, please. I'll never be able to pay it. He doesn't say that. He says, have patience with me and I will pay you all. I'll work it off. Just have patience, please. Don't sell my family and myself to the debtor's prison and to slavery. Please have patience with me and I will pay the all. And that statement moves the person he addresses as Lord. Verse 27 then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. So this, this servant is willing, he's asking for patience. He's asking for more time and he will pay him all. He's determined to do that and throws himself at the feet of his Lord. And the Lord has mercy, has compassion. He's moved with compassion and says, I will forgive you. And he forgives him the debt. But then verse 28, that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. A hundred pence. Back then, a penny, uh, in one of Jesus' parables, he tells the story of a man who hired someone at the beginning of the day, the middle of the day, the end of the day, and he paid him all a penny. A penny was a day's wage. One penny. So a hundred days' wages this guy owes. But compared to the 10,000 talents, it's like comparing $17 to $12 million dollars. Um, you're, you're paying 100 days wages. Okay, the 100 days wages is owed. Maybe this guy thinks, okay, now I don't owe the master this money, so anything I can get back from my fellow servant is profit. I get to keep it for myself because I don't owe this big debt anymore, so I'm going to get this debt from my fellow servant. But he's completely forgetting the compassion that his master had on him, and he's focused on himself alone and not putting himself in the place which should be very easy for, do, to, for him to do. If anyone has truly accepted the kind of forgiveness this servant has from his master and how we each have forgiveness from Jesus for our lifetime of sin and missed opportunities to serve Christ and give him what, he, what we owe him, the abilities, the opportunities he gives us, the forgiveness he gives us, we owe him so much that for us not to forgive an offense by someone else to us 
is just like the servant who compared to the $12 million debt that he owed is not willing to forgive the $17 debt that his fellow servant owes him. He takes him, notice in verse 28, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat and said, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, just like he had done. This should have moved him. Just like he had done, fallen at his Lord's feet. And his fellow servant um, fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. But he went and cast him into the prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. And then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldst not thou have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he shall pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Again, the same word that was used back in verse 15. So he ramps it up. He concludes it. Our, we have a duty to forgive one another. So even before we go to a person and say, this is where you trespassed. This is you know, when you go to that person alone, not taking it to everyone else, but going to that person alone and telling them, this is your trespass. Even before we get to that point, started, we started at, in verse 15, we're supposed to have forgiven. Because why? On the basis, let's go to Ephesians 4.32. Actually, I'm going to start earlier in Ephesians 4. On the basis that Christ has forgiven us. And I believe the picture that we're given in Matthew 18 of the servants that this is not a picture given to us to recognize that if we are truly, if we've truly accepted Christ's forgiveness and we're not trying to earn our salvation in our own way, we, we, we are completely fallen on the grace and mercy of Christ, then we will, we should for, have that same mindset that we forgive others because Jesus has forgiven us. If, if we think that we're somehow earning our salvation, then of course, like that servant in this story, who begged for patience, but then when his master forgives him the debt, he goes out and he has no patience with another person because it, it, it just, who would act like this? This is one of those stories where if you really were forgiven this debt, how could you possibly um, act that? Because we're a new person now. And that's what we find in Ephesians 4. If you go back to verse 22, Verse 22 in Ephesians 4 says that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, this is speaking of reconciliation, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the use of edifying, that which is good for the use of building up, not tearing down, that it may be a minister grace, 
That's merit that is undeserved, goodness that is undeserved unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Had that servant that goes out and takes his, his fellow servant by the throat, if he was if he's a Christian, if he's someone who's been forgiven by Christ, if that is representative of a Christian, then that would be a Christian who's grieving the Holy Spirit at that point by not forgiving someone else. And of course, if somebody is making a trespass and you have to go to that person, that person by their trespass is grieving the Holy Spirit by their trespass. That's why we have a duty to go for the love that we have for the person. That's the reason we go to them and want to make it right, because they're grieving the Holy Spirit and we want them to be restored to the right relationship with the Holy Spirit that lives in them. So they're not grieving the Holy Spirit anymore so that the Holy Spirit in them can be powerful and can work through them to reach the world as witnesses for Christ. Verse 31, if we don't forgive, what happens? If we keep, if we hold on to, if we have if, uh, an offense, we've been offended and we hold on to it and we don't let it go, what happens? We get bitter. We get hard in our feeling toward a, that person. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And I want you to remember the last verse of Matthew 18. Again, Matthew 18, verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. And so we're to be tender-hearted. We're to remember what Christ has done for us. And this can be something that is difficult. Something that, you know, for some of us, even for myself, that have come from another church, and we won't mention names of churches, and we have something that is because of something in the past, we went our separate ways with some other, and in this church, I know it's happened in the past, where we've had other pastor, and you've gone your separate ways, but have you from the heart, have we from the heart forgiven? Because from that point, God is going to bless and forgive us in our daily trespasses because each of us need to go to Christ daily and confess our sins. And as we are confessing our sins, agreeing with God that what we've done is wrong and turning from them and seeking to be more like Christ in our daily lives, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But of course, if we're holding something out against someone else, we're limiting our capacity to be witnesses for Christ because of that debt that we're holding on to that someone else owes us when Christ is willing to forgive us all. Um, so again, let's not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's make sure that we help others by, pointing, by bringing up a trespass, something that's grieving the Holy Spirit in their life. That's the first command God brought us to. But at the same time, before we even bring that to another person, we have to ask ourselves, have we forgiven? Have we released this person from the debt that we feel like they owe us by whatever it is that they did, said, that has offended us? So that's two commands we're given. Go to that person who is a trespassed. And secondly, forgive. And forgive repetitively. Uh, 70, 70 times 7. Let's bow our heads for a prayer and closing this message, and then we'll go to the Lord's Supper.